Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. We're over here. Hello, Other Castle friends. My name is Tom. I'm Andrea. All right, so this week we have a game where I have not even, like, seen anything of this. I haven't played it. Oh, and how I envy you, who clearly has not been on the internet in the past few years. Right. Because this is wild. <laughs> how the fuck have you not heard about what remains of Edith Finch? So what remains of Edith Finch? You yeah. don't even know who is Edith Finch or where or when or how. Yeah, I know nothing about this character. I know nothing about this person. And I don't know what remains of them either. Have you heard of it in passing at all or no? I mean, yes, vaguely. Whenever I'm researching games that say like, hey, this is a really like heavy storyline game. What remains of Edith Finch shows up on that list all the time. That tracks. I guess it would show up if you're looking into like a Firewatch or mm -hmm. a walking simulator where nothing happens. I've played this. Yeah. And I, it's it's a no for me. Like I, I, there's no magic for me. I get it. I totally get it. Just please don't make me play it again. Really? It's okay. It's not for me. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, I think they still did a really beautiful job of putting this together, but it's pretty at least. It is it is pretty. It's not beautiful. It's on the same level as Firewatch, frankly. They've got kind of these loose strokes, kind of some sort of a watercolory moment, but instead of being sepia tone, it's just super melancholy. Okay. What would the color palette be, would you say? Well, I'll give you some context. So this takes place in Orcas Island, which is off the coast of Washington State. So Pacific Northwest, soups gloomy. Right. It's it's a gray ass game. Um, there are some color changes as we get into different characters. Oh, you said gray ass game. Gray ass game. It yeah. almost sounded like you said great ass game. Like I thought you hated it. <laughs> I'm a flip flopper, y'all. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, still no magic from me. Speaking of this game, so it won like a billion game of the year awards. Okay. Um, and just like indie ones in the game awards in 2017, it won best narrative overall. Wow. Right. And well, we talked in about 2017. Yeah, and that's like peak fucking indie games with killer stories coming out. Yeah, no kidding. Um, it won Best Indie Game at the Italian Game Awards in 2018. It won a 2018 South by Southwest Award for Excellence in Narrative. Oh my gosh. You know, the same South by Southwest that Obama has been to. Right. Um, It got Best Narrative from the Game Developers Choice Awards, like GDC. Goddamn. We got Best Gameplay by Games for Change Awards and... The one that kind of befuddles me the most, best game, period. Just best game, period. Yeah, at the 14th British Academy Game Awards. I mean, I don't know what their standard is for best games. So. I'm not familiar with this institution. I know British people like fox hunting, I think. Yeah, but also like other games where shit happens, not this weird melancholy thing. So anyway, uh, that's just to say what this game has accomplished. So gotcha. where'd this game come from? This game came from developers Giant Sparrow, who did one other indie game called The Unfinished Swan that was super indie, just like very story driven, similar to this, where it's also very story driven and has a kind of a loosey goosey, floosey narrative where things are a little fantastical, but okay. not too crazy. Like they love that. They did well with that one. That one won some awards. And then this was the follow up, which has some ties to the game, which I'll talk about later. Thing that I got into in this is that this game was released in 2017 across most platforms on the Switch in the 2019 and was published by Annapurna. Annapurna, who's that? That doesn't sound familiar. No. So Annapurna, um, they do movies. That's a, a movie producer publisher house. Oh. Um, this was 
one of their first big games to go out for Annapurna Interactive, like their gaming division, which is really cool. Oh, wow. But Annapurna Films did movies like Zero Dark Thirty. Oh, damn. Okay. Spring Breakers, Her, Joy, Foxcatcher. Like, These are some well-respected movies. Also Sausage Party. I mean, for what it was. Also Booksmart, which is fun. Yeah. Um, Hustlers, it just recently did. And also Missing Link, that animated movie about the Bigfoot. Okay. Which also, I just want to say, Missing Link was nominated for the best animated feature at the Oscars and lost to Toy Story 4. I mean, I never even heard of it until like, I mean, I've heard of it, but like. You haven't heard of the Oscar nominated movie about Bigfoot? No, definitely not. Unless it's Harry and the Hendersons. I don't know another Bigfoot movie. The Bobcat Goldthwait one just swinging for the rafters. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of a random pairing, but you know, that's, that's the house that brings this forward. You know, it's very narrative driven. They're like all about let's tell stories mm-hmm. let's be indie let's drink fucking coffee and talk about europe and wear stripy shirts i don't <laughs> i don't know i didn't get to shoot anything in this game yeah so what is the gameplay like <laughs> so the gameplay itself it's first person exploration game which means it's a walking simulator mm. with some minor quick time events just to push the narrative along okay so one thing that is interesting and like is an artistic choice about this is that it is a quick time event game but you don't get any prompts on screen to hit specific buttons or do a certain sequence you have to kind of button mash a little frankly to feel out what you should do. And after a while, you do kind of get the rhythm of it, of this, the L stick kind of moves me here. The R stick lets me look over here. This is how I interact with things with X or triangle. But frankly, it's kind of cool and pretty that they don't put anything on the screen. Now, do you say that in the sense that like how Dragon's Lair didn't do like, here's the button you need to push next. You kind of had to guess as to which one. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. There's truly nothing on screen saying like X or like, There's a lot of narration and a lot of kind of inner thoughts or a lot of reading and text will appear. And it's not like a text appears, it waits for you to read it, and then you hit X and it goes away. The text will just stay there. And when it's done, it's done with you. Oh. Um, (laughs) When you're moved on, you're just, you're cruising. Does it float off into space like Star Wars? Sometimes. Okay. All right. So the gameplay is just, it's. There's just a lot to be, a lot left to be desired. I like games where I can solve puzzles and kind of move and feel like I'm accomplishing things. This feels like I'm just doing things like I could do in my regular life. You know, it's so funny when we started this podcast and like some of our early episodes, you talk about like, ew, a first person shooter. Fuck that game. <laughs> I didn't say ew. I said that about Halo. Never mind. You're you right. did say ew. Yeah. yeah I, I did mean, say ew. you even said that about Overwatch the first time. Really? You really did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then uh, and now I have an Overwatch tattoo that takes up half my leg. Right. There's that. Exactly. So it's funny to see how far you've come along in gaming. Me being like, this game is too boring. Yeah, yeah, there's not enough to do now. And me being like, no, these games seem hard. You have to shoot something and aim. You like all the complexity now. Yeah. I got a headshot on a Hanzo and Mystery Player the other day. Did you see that shit? Mm -hmm. Were you there? Oh, yeah. You were either next to me or I yelled and you were like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, I finally did it. I did the thing. After all these years. After all these years. All right, so you play as Edith, who is like 17, 18 years old. Mm -hmm. She is on a mission. She is going back to her family home in Orcas Island off the coast of Washington State. In the Pacific Northwest. In the Pacific Northwest. It's marvelous. There's whales and coffee, big, thick sweaters. It's great. Lots of gray. Yeah, exactly. Just like the game. (laughs) So 
it's like straight up secluded on an island by itself. Like I think she takes a ferry to get there. Like it's super cute. Okay. She goes up and it's like through the hills and shit. And it's very Pacific Northwest. Like you played Last of Us Two. The entire game takes place in Seattle. And right. It's super gray and super leafy and shit like that. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like just walking through where you're like, oh man, fucking whistle gang people are rolling up. Um, <laughs> this is a home that she kind of grew up in. She lived there until she was about 11 years old. And when she was 11, she and her mom moved out. So when you're 11, you like remember it. You're like, it's oh, my yeah. childhood home, but you can still separate from it. You know, like, yeah, you don't have definitely. your big first there. No, it's like my little sister, we moved away from our childhood home when she was 10 years old and you know she still considers that her home even though she really has never moved back or anything but you get it yeah so she hasn't been there in so long but she kind of has a memory of it and she is writing in her journal the entire time that we see her and she's writing down kind of the story of her family and she's saying you know I left this place when I was young it's the family home and her journal is kind of the story of her home and her family her home is as much a part of her family's DNA as she is. Okay. We find out that she is there alone because her mom died just a few weeks ago. Oh. I know. And she's so young. Yeah. She's like 17, 18. That's awful. Poor baby. So she rolls up to the house and she has a key and she's like, cool. I'll bust in. You know, I'll clean up. I haven't been here in so long. Mm -hmm. I kind of have nowhere to go because I'm like 18. Right. (laughs) And I have no living family to my knowledge. Oh my gosh. Yeah, totally alone. So she's like completely on her own. Yeah. She's like, cool, come in. Obviously the key doesn't work. And she's like, I hate all of you motherfuckers. (laughs) And she ends up having to crawl into her house through like a doggy door. Oh my gosh. You know, the most dignified thing you can do after you've lost every member of your family and you're completely alone and you're 18 and everything's fine. And you have to break into your family. You have to break into your own family home. You're degraded to dog. Yeah. (laughs) exactly throughout this game i want to throw this out there the game is about each of her family members and how their lives ended Mm. and part of this is tied to the house because the house was partially brought over from norway with her great great grandfather like brick by brick yeah and her great great grandfather left norway to the u.s because he believed the family was cursed by what like gypsies or witches. Okay, but like uh, something was following them yeah. or was in their home. So the curse is that in every generation of the Finch family, all the children in one generation will die except for one. Damn. Yeah, it's a it's a straight up murder curse. And it's very much like all these people will die in kind of violent and young ways, which is weird. And then it kept happening. So it's probably a curse. And it sounds like it's happened again. Yeah. <laughs> exactly oh this poor kid yeah so part of her story is talking about how everyone died unexpectedly because they everyone does die in crazy ass ways oh and as it relates to the house so the house is like i said her great-great-grandfather picked up his house put it in a boat took the boat to washington state so hold up i'm not gonna get into the geography of this yeah so (laughs) <laughs> in the pacific northwest he went from norway he's from norway so he went around the world <laughs> or under the you know he went either went under south america through the panama canal or went back the other direction with a house with a house and a wife on and a kids. boat and then took that house off the boat and put it like in a neighborhood yeah 
This doesn't make sense, but all it, right. It's a little fantastical. A like, little? Like Sausage Party. <laughs> like Sausage Party, you know, exactly. Also in this production house is Slate. So, <laughs> yes, suspend your bl- disbelief. Pretend Asia's on the other side. Just roll with it. I would like to let you know, on the west of the United States is Asian stuff. <laughs> Not Norway. <laughs> right. From the east coast, you can get to Norway and European stuff. But if you go west, that's Asian stuff. So if this had taken place in like Maine, it'd probably make a lot more sense. Totally, but it's very specifically Washington State. And it could have been an equally as gray. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but alas, here we are. Her great-great-grandfather's name is Odin, which like creepy. Odin? Really? Yeah. yeah. Little heavy-handed on the Norway end. Yeah, no shit. And he's like, yo, there's a curse in my family. Every time, every generation, all the kids die except for like one, and they all die like horrible, horrible deaths. If I move my family over to the United States, maybe the curse won't follow us. And maybe that's why they go such a long way is because they're trying to like lose the curse in the water. Trying right? to run from the Baba Yaga. Yeah. But it's a, <laughs> but bitch, it's a curse. Right. So <laughs> they get there. They all like, they're riding this fucking boat. They're like, shit, yeah, we got away from the curse. It's 1937. We're living large. As soon as the boat kind of gets to land, it capsizes. Oh, shit. So a lot of this house is built from scratch and kind of rebuilt. And then kind of throughout the years, as family members died, the family stopped kind of turning their rooms over and turned their bedrooms into shrines for these people that have died. That's not creepy at all. Yeah. And then for the new kids that were born and came into the family, they would just Make them a new bedroom. They'd build new rooms. Yeah. So they just kept building onto this house. Yeah. So if you're following me, this is an insane looking house. It's yeah, like a Frankenstein so. house. And it's built by insane people who are plagued by a curse. It sounds like the Weasley's house in Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was like it, that one kind of stacked on top of itself, but it's kind yeah. of a hobbledy dobbledy fucking <laughs> yeah, insane looking thing. Okay. I get where you're going with it. And each room that is left as a shrine is kind of left exactly as the person would have left it. So all their shit's in there. Oh, wow. Um, And Dawn, who is Edith's mother, was like, this is fucking weird. And we shouldn't do this. Thank God somebody thinks that's weird. Because I know people that have done that and that have like left, the, like left the room exactly as it was left behind as the person, oh, after the person no. died. And it's just people deal with death in different ways. Totally. That is not a way that I understand. Yeah. Um, I love clearing things out so that would drive me crazy. Yeah. Also, when I'm dead, just donate my shit. Just get rid I of shit. I don't care. Okay. So Don is like, this is fucking weird. Let's board them up. Board up the rooms? Yeah. Instead of, you know. Not clean them up? No. Oh. She's not like great at stuff. So Don boards up all the rooms. They live in the house with Edie. And Edie is the great grandmother. So she's Don's grandmother. She is the surviving finch of that generation. Mm-hmm. And Edie's like, well, fuck yo shit. And she drilled peepholes into everyone's bedrooms. Oh, my God. So you could. Oh, so Edith. The surviving Finch grew up in this weird house where there was a fucking museum to her dead relatives. Right. And she couldn't even learn about them. All she could do was like peep in through the peepholes and learn about them that way. That is the creepiest, weirdest thing. Yeah. And we all have weird family things. Right. You know, my family likes to open one gift on Christmas Eve and the rest on Christmas morning. But, you know, it's... To each their own. And some families like to have peepholes into their shrines after their family members die. Yeah, the Finches. 
Totally. Specifically the Finches, not us. So we go into the house and there's all these boarded up bedrooms with peepholes. Mm-hmm. It's fucking weird. It's fucking scary. And like poor Edith, this is just the home that she knows. This is for her normal. Right. Oh, that's so weird. Can you imagine, bitch? You know what? It's a little bit like the Hello Neighbor house. Okay. And then it just builds it on itself and there's a bunch of peepholes and kind of weird ways. Because then additionally, there are secret passages between rooms. Like in Clue? Yeah. Yeah, like in Clue. Okay. And this drives a lot of the gameplay where you are exploring the house. You are getting to know every single finch. Mm -hmm. As you meet each finch, you're filling out your journal and talking about how that finch died. And then between rooms, you kind of have to like scale walls sometimes and crawl through shit. Okay. It's a whole ass thing. For the rest of this, I'm going to kind of, I don't want to get into like the nuts and bolts of like, and then you push the chair and it's behind a box or No, whatever. no, no puzzles. Yeah. So that's not fun to explain. So I want to go into the stories of each specific finch that we meet in order at least. As you play each finch, you find a totem of theirs that tells their story and then you live their story as them. Okay. So as Edith is narrating it, sometimes the voice will change to adapt to the story and- your gameplay will differ from where you're doing a walking simulator just like Firewatch, just like Henry, into something that's slightly different. Maybe you're in the third person or first person. Maybe you're kind of flipping through a flip book, things like that. So I'll kind of wow, get into Wow, you get perspective that. changes. Yeah, exactly. And I'll get into that. I just want to kind of format-wise let you know none of the bullshit, just all the good shit. Totally, totally. No, that's very rare in a video game to get like a perspective change. It is, you know, it's it's still kind of shell shocking when you get a character change, frankly. Yeah. Um <laughs> No, so, you're not wrong. So the first finch we meet is Molly. And mm. Molly lived from nineteen thirty seven to nineteen forty seven. Ten? Yeah. Whoa. I heard you do the math on you that. Did. <laughs> so Molly is ten. She's this cute little girl. Her room is all pink, and we find her journal. Mm-hmm. And we're reading her journal. So this is what happens. She is sent to bed without dinner, and she's so hungry. Tragic. She's 10. She's so hungry. Yeah. She has a gerbil in her room, and she eats some of the gerbil's food. I thought you were saying she ate the gerbil. No, that'd be fucking gnarly, but it's not enough. Mm. And so she goes to the bathroom, and she finds toothpaste, and she eats a whole tube of toothpaste. Oh, no. But it isn't enough. And she goes to her window, and she finds some strange berries. Oops. And she eats as many of those as she can, and it's not enough. Oh, no. And she looks out her window, and she sees a bird. What's she going to do to the bird? And she unlocks the window, and she goes towards the bird. And now she's a cat! Wait, what? And now you're playing as a cat. I'm sorry. What just happened? And you're catting, and you're pouncing, and you have to eat this bird. This bird is everything. You are starving. How did she turn into a cat? Once you get the bird, you become an owl. You become... So you weren't chasing an owl before. No. It's a completely different species of bird you were chasing. Yeah, this is new. Okay. And you're flying and you're soaring through the air and you're beautiful and you're wise and you see a rabbit. Uh oh. I don't like this part. I love rabbits. I imagine you didn't like this part at all. And you have to dive down and eat a rabbit. Oh. And once you get the rabbit, you soar through the bottom of the frozen lake and you're a shark. You don't become the rabbit? Nope, you're a shark now. You go from cat to owl, to shark. This is the first level. This doesn't make any sense. Okay. You're a shark and you find a seal. (laughs) And you eat the seal, but it isn't enough. Oh. And then you become a sea monster. 
like any specific sea monster. Like a bunch of tentacles, but not a tentacle animal. But not Cthulhu. Just like something mythical. Okay. And you're on a boat and you eat a man, but it isn't enough. It's still not enough. Oh, no. (laughs) And then Molly kind of comes back out of being a sea monster and she says, and I'm going to eat me eventually, kind of. I'm paraphrasing. It ends on her writing in her diary, I will be delicious. And that is the last entry in her diary. Did she resort to like (laughs) self-cannibalism? She's 10. I think, I mean, the popular theory here is that the berries were poisonous and she was hallucinating on her way, like spiraling out into death. Uh. It it is mildly up for interpretation, but it's basically that that's the night she died. That's what we know. We know that she ate berries that looked kind of funky. And then the rest of this was absolutely wild. And again, chapter one, this is insane. And like I mentioned, they don't give you prompts. So you're literally kind of scrolling down, reading through someone's diary page. And then you're a cat. Right. You're toggling like I go here. I'll figure out how to jump soon. Oh, now I'm flying, so we've got the flying structure of, like, physics. She's learned complete new controls. Yeah, and you're swimming. Like, shit is crazy. And when you're an owl, you have to dive down to get the rabbit. It's it's a whole thing mechanically. This sounds insane. Yeah. <laughs> so after- I'm, I'm telling you, this is not what I expected. No! It, <laughs> how could it be? This doesn't make sense. I bought this because so many people said, if you love Life is Strange, if you love these narrative games, Edith Finch is the best fucking narrative game. You can't do better than Edith Finch. I feel like I've done better than Edith Finch. I mean, you turn into a cat, owl, shark. I do enjoy some of those. I love all those animals, actually. Yeah. 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 Nah. I don't need to turn into one. No. So you go through Molly's room, and then afterwards, you get into Ed's room, which mm-hmm. is great grandma who put the peepholes on all the doors. Creepo. Her dad was Odin. So Odin, um, we see this through, oh, fuck me. What are they called? Viewmasters? Viewfinder? Yeah, Yeah, Viewfinder, where it's a slideshow that you kind of flip through. One of those 80s things? Yeah, so we're flipping through the Viewfinder as Edith goes through the narrative of Odin's life. Okay. So Odin lived from 1880 to 1937, Mm -hmm. so he's 57. He's from Norway. He thought escaping the case by moving to the United States would work. Right. He took the family house and the family with him. And once they got to the shore, the house capsized and he died with the original house. Oh, damn. Yeah. So they so got. he didn't even get to see his own dream. No. So they got some stuff from the house, obviously. Like they weren't just like washed up on shore, but a big chunk of the house died with him. Why does this kind of sound like the story of like Joseph Smith and the Mormons? Oh, no. Is it? A little bit. I mean, like heading off from your original home, going to find a new one and then dying before you ever get there. But it's just it's also so wild that the curse of this was that he wanted to escape an insane death curse and he died on the shores of where he meant to be like feet away from safety. Right. Underneath the weight of a house he dragged from Norway all the way around the world. That final destination ghost chasing him down. Oh, totally. It's the fucking uh, morgue guy just cruising up being like, death finds a way. Right. I love those movies so goddamn much. He is the first one to be buried in the family graveyard. The first. Yeah. And also, they have a family graveyard. They have a cemetery and they have a pet cemetery, which like 
maybe you should be on a list at adoption agencies. <laughs> you know, I if there's a need for the cemetery, maybe we should rethink the life situations that you keep bringing into the world. You know, probably not a bad idea. The next room we find is Calvin, who lived from 1950 to 1961. Another really young one. He is Molly's brother. So Calvin and Molly are, if we're looking at the ring of family trees, they're the grandparents to Edith. Okay. I'll try and include that where I can, but there's a lot of people, so we'll kind of just roll with the age gaps and the dates as much as we can, but I'll try and give you context. Edith finds a story about Calvin written by Sam, who's his brother, Grandpa Sam. Mm -hmm. Calvin was on a swing, you know, just a sweet little boy on a swing looking out at the ocean. As one does. Yeah. Calvin was a young boy, and he was always afraid of going too far or too fast or too high. A little scaredy Calvin. His sister Barbara had recently died, and he realized he didn't want to be afraid anymore. So on his swing, he's kicking up and he's going higher and higher. And he was just, he was going to go over the branch, you know, every kid's dream, because oh, he wasn't no. afraid. And the velocity launched his body into the side of a cliff and he died. Like, off the cliff? Yeah. Oh, no. Also, someone put a swing on a cliff. Yeah, that's not responsible at all. Yeah. So, like... <laughs> You're asking for trouble by doing that. Yeah, this is fucked, because it's his brother writing about how his dead brother didn't want to fucking be afraid anymore. Right. Now he's taking a stand, he was sad about their sister dying, and he just launched himself into the side of a cliff. Ugh. I know. And, you know, a lot of the people that are, love this game talk about how it's so heartbreaking and so sad. You know, it talks about how death is always around the corner and it's a YOLO game. And I guess, man. Yeah, but do you need it just shoved in your face that much? <sighs> I know. So this next one is actually a lot of people's favorites. There's two that, like, really stand out as, like, fully... People fucking love this. This is what people get tattoos of, fucking print art things about, you know, okay. all about it. So this is Barbara. Barbara lived from 1944 to 1960. She is okay. the grandmother level. She is her brothers, Calvin and Sam are there. Her sister was Molly. Whole deal. They also have another brother named Walter. They had a family curse. They had five kids. That's their fault. <laughs> Barbara is fucking cool as shit. She was a child Hollywood star. Oh, nice. When she was a little girl, she started a movie called My Friend Bigfoot. Oh. And like implied some other sequels, but basically she was just this little girl like goddamn Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple, okay. Yeah, but she had a scream that people lost their minds for. She just had a perfect horror scream. Oh, she was a little scream queen. Yeah, she was a scream queen. Oh, that's great. And now she's 16 and she's all washed up. Already. She's getting no offers. Oh. No one wants to hire her. She did not age well? She lost her scream. Oh. And she's cute. She's a cute 16-year-old girl, mm -hmm. you know? She's she's spunky. <laughs> she... But there's a lot of cute 16-year-old girls. Yeah. You got to have something else. Yeah. But she died when she was 16. Her room is so cute. Her room is all made up very Hollywood style. There's like director's chairs and like film reels and clappers and shit. It's really cute. The fun thing about this one is that as Edith gets into this room, she's like, oh my God, Barbara's like a fucking star. There's posters of Barbara as a kid on the wall and all these cool things and awards and shit she won as a kid. In the middle of Barbara's vanity, there is 
is a comic book that is fucking like a real ass comic book called Dreadful Stories. And it's like a mass published like 52 piece that talks about Barbara's death. Oh. So while a lot of the other deaths are handwritten accounts or photos or some sort of family totem that was owned by the person that died, Barbara's was kind of published and made into fan fiction and was like, on a podcast It's or like a shit. true crime not podcast, yeah. but it's like a true crime comic book. Yeah. So when we get into this one, it is exactly like those living comic book videos that you've watched. Oh, okay. Where it's a comic book panel, but the characters are moving a little bit or there's some sort of slight animation to make it seem like they're moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also told in the style of when you look at the page and you can see each individual panel and you jump to each panel. Oh, wow. So it's, it's truly, it, this one is very unique. I'll give it that. And then there's some parts where you have to move and you have to actually be on the stick to move around. Sometimes you just have to hit a button as a quick time event. Like this one keeps you on your toes. Okay. At 16, <laughs> just to catch you up, as we open up the comic book, her career is over. <laughs> she is a has-been. She's like a waitress at some bullshit spot. She just, man, she misses her glory days. And her boyfriend, Rick, is her biggest fan. Rick loved the movies. Aww. Rick is trying to help her get back in the scene. Rick is trying to help her find her scream again. Oh, what a sweet guy. Yeah. But he was also a super fan that's kind of a stalker? Super fucking creepy. You shouldn't fuck your fans. Okay. Yeah, definitely never fuck your fans. Barbara gets a letter from BeastieCon saying they want the famous Barbara Finch to come and scream at BeastieCon. And she's like, holy shit, I can work the convention circuit. I'm there. And this is 1960. Like, it's not like now where you can just be like, oh, I'm obviously going to go to fucking Scranton Fest and cosplay as goddamn Meredith. Right. No, that's not a thing. Also, oh my God, am I Meredith? No, you're not. I'm Robert California, bitches. So she is like, fuck yeah, let's get my screen back. I'll be at the con. This is awesome. And she can't get it back. She's like, oh, ooh. Mm. Rick's like, ah, oh, I know you can do better than that. She's like, Rick, shut up. Rick is on crutches for some fucking reason. We don't know why. No explanation. No. <laughs> so while they're both home, Barbara's dad hurts himself. And he's like, fuck, I have to go to the ER. I need you to stay home and watch your brother. And she's like, I have a convention to go to tonight. I'm going to scream in front of strangers. And he goes, that's bullshit. It's 1960. You're staying home. I have to go to the hospital. Goodbye. (laughs) Which, fair. Yeah. And Barbara's like, God damn it, man. I was going to make my $4. It's 1960. Finally going to be somebody again. Yeah. And Rick's like, fuck, dude. You were supposed to go be famous again and be my meal ticket. A little bit. And she's like, yeah, babe. What? And while they're home. There's a radio announcement that this is where it gets a little comic booky and you can't trust the narrative of what happened. Oh. There is a radio announcement saying that an inmate escaped the local penitentiary and he has a hook for a hand and he's in the area. Like a former serial killer got out? Yeah. Also, you're on an island. You oh, figure right. it out. You're uh, just on an island. Yeah. So Barbara's at home alone with her dumb shit ass boyfriend who wants her to scream and keeps trying to fucking get her to scream. Her one brother who's terrified and just in bed because he's like, it's Walter. He's over this shit. (laughs) And she's like, I had a job opportunity that I had to turn down because my dumbass dad is cursed. This poor, poor girl. This girl's not having a great night. No. And she's fucking annoyed. And Rick is like, we got to get your scream back. If we can get your scream back and we can slide into the last minute. Maybe something can happen. So he's like hiding and popping out at her and all this dumb shit. And she's like, can you fucking 
not. He's trying to scare her. Yeah, and she's fucking over it. So she kicks him out, and she's like, I'm I'm going to bed. I'm fucking annoyed. Walter's asleep. I'm going to sleep. Mm-hmm. She wakes up hearing Walter screaming, and she's oh. like, fuck me. She's like looking around. She's investigating his room, and when she gets into his room, and she turns around, the hook man is there. Not the hook man? Yeah, who may or may not be real. I'm suspicious of that. <laughs> so she's running through this hidden passage to get away from him. And like, side note, sometimes you see hidden passages in people's stories, which are the hidden passages you need to take to get to the next level. Oh, okay. Which is kind of fun. Like, there are little treats in the narrative that help you push along. But honestly, the lack of gameplay is still frustrating. That's good reveal. Very. So she manages to like, Push him off a stairwell using one of Rick's crutches that, like, he left there for some fucking reason. Oh, shit. So she pushes him off a stairwell from the second story down to the first story. And it's one of those kind of, I want to say, like, a ski cabin situation where there's kind of a loft of bedrooms but a big, crazy living room. Okay, I get you. So she pushes him off the banister and she's like, got him. She runs downstairs and she's like, I'm going to make sure this motherfucker's done. And he's not there. Because it's a scream movie. Yeah. And also, they use the music from Halloween throughout this. Which oh, is, really? Yeah, that sh- that high pitched shit. Little heavy handed. Yeah, but like we lean in because it's fun. All right. It's all monster campy movies. So the doorbell rings, and she's like, "How many fucking tropes can we squeeze into this?" So she's going to the door. She hears some whispering, and she's like, "All right, motherfuckers." And she opens the door, and there's a big surprise, and it's all the monsters from the convention. They came to see her. But Wait, he... why? And then in the comic book, she screams and is killed by all of the monsters, who may or may not have been real monsters. I'm so confused. That night, her boyfriend, Rick, disappeared and was never found. This is all very confusing. Her brother, Walter, hid under his bed the entire time, and it mentally ruined him. And what did he see? Did he say? No. Okay. Uh, because it mentally ruined him. Ruined. Okay. When her parents got home, all they found was her ear in a music box. Just her ear? Yep. Ugh. I know! So, like... This is obviously like the fictionalized version because this is a comic book that has a barcode on it. Right. So it's not real, but it's obviously rooted in something because this is pulled out of like a real story that happened in this family. Right. So my theory is that, so there's a there's a fair argument that the hook man was real. <laughs> okay. And like killed them all. I don't think that the convention showed up at her house. That doesn't sound realistic. It feels improbable. I mean, obviously, I think the boyfriend killing her is a very good route to take. It's usually the partner that kills them. Very Um, real possibility. Yeah, there's a letter that goes out if my body is found and you are not convicted within 48 hours. I'm sorry, what? And I don't think that her brother did it because he was like 10 or something. He was a little boy and her parents weren't home. So I think it was the boyfriend. Okay. Do you have a theory? Do you have an inkling? I'm still stuck on that If a, a letter going out 48 hours after you die. Nothing to do with the game. Barbara's little brother, Walter, who was ruined by her death. Right. Walter lived from 1952 to 2005. Oh, he had a nice long life. Yeah, he didn't Ish. do too bad. He was 53. Edith is walking around the house and she finds a bunker underneath the house that was clearly being used. <laughs> There's like cans of food. There's like a bed situation. There's like 
you know, just stuff everywhere. When was it being used? Recently or? Relatively recently. Okay. She finds a letter from Grandpa Walter, just kind of on a desk. After Barbara's death, Walter, who was, he was like eight years old when Barbara died, is completely broken. He talks about this curse of an earthquake and a monster that he needed to hide from that felt inevitable. And if he was hiding, he couldn't be found. But if he was out in the open, it would find him. Mm. Kind of, that's the basic analogy. I don't want to spoil any actual language for people who do want to experience it, but the gist is that. <laughs> so it's like when you are a kid and you're sleeping in bed and you know that if like your toe is out, the gremlins will come out and eat your foot. Yeah. Okay. But with a real ass curse that killed his sister. Okay. He was there when only her ear was found. Right. In retaliation to the curse, Walter eventually builds this bunker underneath the house. And he lives there unknown for 30 years. Damn, son. They think he kind of just disappeared. And then they're like, well, Walter's probably fine. The other ones died off. Right. He's either in or out and he'll call us when he feels like it. He spends 30 years underneath the house. Like he lived there when Edith lived there and he never met Edith. That's wild. Yeah. The letter is from the day he left the bunker. He was like, I've been here for 30 years. And honestly, at this point, I'm pretty sure I outlived the curse. (laughs) You know, I've been here. Nothing's happened. Everything's been fine. I'm going to go live my life now and enjoy the time that I could have been spending in happiness. Yeah. He's he's realizing that he might have wasted his time. He goes out and Edith kind of picks up the narrative now because this is where the letter stops. So. She says that apparently he opened the door to the bunker and he explored and you're on this island in Washington and it's beautiful and there's trees and greenery and he's walking down this trail and he's hit by a train because he was walking down train tracks. Oh my God. Immediately was hit by a train. How do you not even hear it coming? He might not know what a fucking train sounds like. He was in an underground bunker. For 30 years. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Also, this island has a train? understand if this is a peninsula or not but it said island okay (laughs) like they refer to it as an island maybe it's like you know how there's that little train in glendale around the five right that the horses walk around for the (laughs) children and it was big enough to kill a 50 year old dude but yeah poor fucking walter oh poor guy indeed and edith's whole thing is that I literally lived in this house and I did not know this person was there. Right. He was That's just... fucking terrifying. I mean, I've, I've heard of people like finding like homeless people that have been living in their houses for yeah, like Yeah, like in the years. walls and shit. Yeah. So it's not unheard of, but still just the thing that there's a family member living under there that whole time. Secret grandpa. So the last of this generation's group is named Sam. He was born in 1950 and died in 1983. Okay. So Edith finds a kind of a bunch of photos from Sam. And Sam is her mom's dad. So all these photos were from a trip that Sam and Don took together, which okay. is kind of cool. So you see the photo and between each photo instead of flipping through a photo like a photo book, you go and kind of you're in the camera and you're zooming into different areas of the photo to get the frame of the photo that lines up with the story piece. Oh, I get what you're saying. This is kind of cool. You have it's not really a full zoom in like in that Spider-Man mini game where you have to find the billboards. Right. But it's kind of you see this larger scope through your lens and you have to kind of explore it to find exactly what we're talking about in the photo. I get you. So this is how we explore this one. Sam took Edith, Edith's mom, Dawn, on a hunting trip and it's cold. It's mucky. She's like 11 or 12 or something. So she's starting to be a little bratty about shit. 
Sam's a finch, so he has daddy issues. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All their family's all fucked up. He's doing his best. He's teaching his kid how to go hunting. They get a deer, which is great. So they go up to this like part of the cliffside, and they're like, we're going to pose with this deer, because how beautiful is this? We're going to love this. This is a beautiful family moment. And as you're taking pictures, the deer is actually alive, bucks Sam, and you have photos of Sam flying off the side of a cliffside while his horrified, now orphaned daughter looks on and this twitching deer is just on the ground. God. Right? So many cliffs, first off. They shouldn't have moved to such a cliffy area. The cliffs have certainly added to their death count. Holy hell. And poor Edith is like, I never really knew the story like that. Um... I heard the curse got him, but this is a very specific and traumatic way to see grandpa die. This is way worse than what I imagined. Yeah. She's like, I assume maybe a car crash, but right. <laughs> nope, it was a deer kicked him off a cliff that he thought he killed. Well, I mean, revenge. I guess. Don't fuck with mother nature. So this next one's pretty sad. Oh, because the rest weren't. <laughs> There's a certain special sadness about this next one. Okay. (laughs) So this next one is Gregory, who lived from 1976 to 1977. Yeah. So this would have been her uncle. So this is Sam's son, Gregory, whose mom's name was Kay. Edith finds a letter from Sam describing Gregory, their son. And he's talking about how Gregory saw the world in such technicolor and with such an imagination. And when you're playing as Gregory, you're this baby in a bathtub. You're taking control of the baby and you're splashing and there's rubber duckies and there's toys and you're playing with the toys in the bathtub while Sam is describing how vibrant this baby's imagination is. So it's end of bath time. Mommy Kay turns off the water and lets it all kind of drain around you and you're flopping around and while you're playing with your toys and listening to your dad talk about how playful and sweet you are, you managed to turn the water back on. Oh, no. And your mom, Kay, is busy on the phone and she's distracted. And she, you're like, he, 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 I am a baby. I will play with toys for longer. More in the, water. In the splash zone. And the water fills and fills and fills. And, and you're a baby. Yeah. And your mom is on the phone and you're like, there's so much water. I'm a frog. And then you're a frog baby, and you're all fat and flappy. So you actually turn into a frog? Kind of. It's like a fat arm thing. Okay. And you're kind of going through the water, and everything goes away. It just turns black? It turns black or white, yeah. Oh. And this is a paper that is a part of Sam's divorce paperwork. So many dead babies this season. I know. Trigger warning. So many dead kids all season long. So Gregory obviously was in the bathtub, water drained out. He turned the water back on and drowned himself while his mom was on the phone. Super fucking terrible. No parent should have to go through that shit. Can you imagine? I don't want to. No. So the next room, we'll pick this up a little bit. Kind of. Not really. This game is sad. is Gus, who lived from 1969 to 1982. This is Uncle Gus, Don's and Gregory's brother. God, nobody lives long. No. So Edith finds a poem that her mom, Don wrote about Gus the day that he died. And she also doesn't know a ton about how Gus died. Like, her mom was kind of tight-lipped about how certain things in the family work. Just, her mom was so anti-curse. Her mom was very, like, the curse is dumb as fuck. Like, 
if you stop perpetuating the idea that we're cursed, we're not going to be fucking cursed. If you shut the fuck up about the curse, it's fine. You Got know? you. That's her mom's whole vibe. Don't acknowledge it and it'll go away. However, this entire game is evidence that it did not go away. <laughs> Sam is getting remarried. That's Don and Gregory and Gus's dad. Right. And, you know, he divorced Kay after the baby died. Sam is this totally pouty 13-year-old. Like, he is so like, I don't even want to fucking be here. I'm wearing tight shoes. I hate this. Uh. He's flying a kite to be away from the wedding and the family because he's like, I fucking hate all of you. It's the perfect antisocial behavior. Yeah. And his entire family is inside of one of those outdoor wedding tents. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's outside just flying his kite. The wind is picking up, and as you're playing, you're steering the kite, and the kite is picking up debris. It's this interesting magnet game where you're floating this kite around the air, and it's picking up cans and trees and wood and sticks and stones and all this crazy shit. Okay. And as you're flying the kite, it's getting bigger and bigger. It's like snake without consequences. You're just flying around, and it's great. As you kind of pick up as much as you can, the wind gets so strong that your debris dragon that you're floating around picks up the tent and Sam and all the debris go flying through the air. Oh, no. And he's killed by flying debris. Flying debris that he created? I mean, so part of this is the fantastical and the, you know, the poetic nature of visually what the game looks like. And you have to take a step back to diagnose it in reality. Like he was flying a kite on a super windy day. The tent picked up hit him gotcha probably carried him off into the cliffside because everything is on everything's the in the cliff these idiots fucking should have <laughs> lived on flatland if this happened in arkansas you'd be fine right like this is kind of bullshit that they live so close <laughs> to cliffs being this terrible i just think that the cliffs really were the curse and not them got you but the entire family is inside for the fucking wedding the tent falls off the wedding and flies off, revealing one of the people to be dead. Like, it's insane. So you're on the mom's side of this thing, where it's like, if you don't believe in the myth, it'll go away? I'm on the side of, pick your battles. <laughs> you know, if if your family is cursed and keeps having cliff-related deaths, move somewhere flat, live on the first floor, fucking stop that shit. If your family keeps dying young, focus on vegetables. That's fair. You know? <laughs> I have high cholesterol. I eat nuts and avocados now. There you go. Hopefully I live a little longer. (laughs) It's not a curse. It's just a product of me eating a lot of steak because I love steak. That's fair. Steak is delicious. It is delicious. It's not a curse. No. I think these people are clumsy. You're not cursed with the love of steak. Yeah. So, I mean, and this one isn't like the tent hitting him and killing him. I can't really tell if it's the tent hit him or the wind was so much that it could pull up the tent and pulled him up. And threw him off a cliffside. I can't tell if debris flew through and hit him like in every sci-fi thing. You know, it's a little unclear, but that's part of the poetic nature of the game is you play an artistic rendering of someone's death. Right. Holy shit. That's wild. (sighs) And like usually in a video game, you know, a death means you get to start over. Totally. This is that's the goal in this is to get to the death. Oh, God. Very different kind of like interpretation of dying over and over in a video game. As a PSA, I think if anyone says this is their favorite game, have a friend check up on you. <laughs> out of love. I, I didn't love this, and I'm horribly depressed. Right. <laughs> it should have hit. Night in the Woods rocked me to my fucking bones, and this was just long. This was just long. This is a two-hour game, by the way. That's it? 
Yeah, you can definitely run through this in two hours. Oof. It still felt long. So <laughs> the next one we get to is actually Edith's brother, Milton. Okay. So I want to take a quick flashback to when we were walking up to the house. There were some missing child posters. Oh. They were for Milton. Oh. Milton was born in 1992 and was not seen again in 2003. Until 2003 or? In 2003, he went off the grid. Okay, got you. And Edith doesn't know what happened to him. He kind of just stopped being. Her 11-year-old brother just disappeared? Yeah. So she goes through and she gets in his room and she finds a flip book, which is the most 11-year-old boy thing you can do. Right. How many flip books did you make as a kid? Like at least two. Right? Like they're always a pain in the ass, but they were really cool. Like you get the cool ones at the Scholastic Book Fair that like had a full narrative and color and shit. Those were sick. Or if you were cheap, you just did the corner of, like, your school book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I loved getting those hand-me-down books where people had dicks all over them and, like, they shit would turn into shit. It was great. Little action scenes of stick figures fighting. Yeah. No, totally. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. So Milton has a, a picture, a flip book <laughs> for his fucking, like, here's how I died. He His is, first of all, so fucking cute. Oh? It's it's basically a little Milton and he kind of looks like he's like a stick figure, like little boy drawing. Okay. <laughs> this is also supposed to be drawn by an 11 year old. And he is painting very Bob Ross style. And he has and he gets a crown and he's like, what? And some mythical shit starts happening. Of course. And he gets a magic paintbrush. Mm-hmm. And he takes his magic paintbrush and he's playing with it. And he paints a magic door and he walks through it. And he's never seen from again. The fuck? (laughs) Canonically, like I mentioned, this game does tie to the Unfinished Swan, which is Big Sparrow's first game. Okay. Canonically, Milton Finch is the king in the Unfinished Swan. Mm. And if you play both games, apparently it does kind of describe who this character is. He's not the protagonist or anything. I think he might just be a side character, but he's certainly important to the lore and is still a part of this world, which is really fascinating. Like, it weirdly reminds me of like a Bretty Stanellis shared universe that he has. <laughs> Where everyone's named Lauren. Yeah, or just like the main character in American Psycho is the brother of the main character in Rules of Attraction. Yeah. And, you know, little things like that. I think he just only knows uh, like Irish people's names. <laughs> everyone's named Patrick and Bateman and... <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. I think there's a couple Davids in there. It's just very Irish. So the very last Finch whose death we explore is Edith's older brother, Lewis. Okay. Lewis was born in 1988 and died in 2010. So he made it to, is that 22? Yeah. Edith finds a letter to her mother, Dawn, about Lewis and his substance abuse issues from his psychiatrist. So he was in a program of some sort. Yeah. And when she gets to his room, it's kind of like this hideout situation. It's, it's kind of, um, like, Oh God, what do they call it? Is a granny suite, a in-law suite, like a little apartment above a garage. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that is. But it's obviously hand built by someone in the family. So it's kind of just a bunch of plywood and some shitty stairs. Right. And it's a little psychedelic. Like there's, black light stuff there's a bong like he was a he was clearly a partier and i know nothing of that he's paying for it you know he's uh he's definitely in a program of some sort that his mother is trying to get him to do okay and his psychiatrist seems super worried about him this is all told from the perspective of someone who he was really close with clearly it's someone that he trusted with all of his secrets that i was super comfortable speaking to mm-hmm. this is the other major 
death story in the game. This one actually might be worth playing, to be real. Oh. As someone who never wants to pick this game up again. <laughs> this one is really beautiful. Like the one redeeming. Yeah. The cartoon one with Barbara is very fun. This one is very beautiful. Okay. It's a story of a man who wanted more. So he obviously is in a program. He gets kind of a shitty job at a cannery because, you know, Washington State. And his job is taking fish and moving their heads to the guillotine and cutting their heads off. So on your right stick, you are taking a fish, pulling it down from a bucket, moving it over to the side to get its head cut off, and then shoving it into another bucket. Exactly what you think in a factory, and you're doing that just with your right stick. Yeah, somebody's got to do the job. On your left stick and on the left side of the screen, a story starts happening. Mm. And it starts off as a thought bubble. It's just like a little tiny thought in the corner of your eye. And on your left stick, you can control someone walking through that bubble. And in the left side, it looks kind of like a fucking platformer where you're kind of exploring a little bit. You're following a path. But on your right stick, you are still killing those fish, cutting their heads off. You're doing that monotonous task. But on your left hand, you're exploring and you're building this world. So it's like daydreaming while doing your job. Entirely. And it it perfectly captures that, which is, it's a triumph, frankly. It is, that is, now that I'm thinking about it more, I fucking love this. Um, <laughs> I might redact my bitching about this game um, because this is such a beautiful piece of work. On your right hand, and the entire chapter of this which is like 10 15 minutes long you are doing the monotonous fish thing on your right stick oh damn the entire daydream is on your left hand so on your left hand it starts off as a little thought and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the story goes on okay so you are envisioning yourself as kind of a knight kind of a politician kind of a renaissance man in some sort of renaissance time and you come across this beautiful castle and you fight demons and or dragons and shit and you're, you know, rolling in and you're conquering things and you're becoming the king and people love you and people adore you. And on the other hand, you're cutting the heads off fish. Right. And you're bouncing between the cannery of where your real world is and becoming a king of a full kingdom in your left hand. And as the story progresses, your left hand takes over the entire screen and you are seeing side to side the full vision of your kingdom and all of these people screaming for you and cheering for you. And the entire time your right hand is still doing this fucking task. Mm. And it's so beautiful. And he comes to realize he loves living in his left hand so much more than he loves living in his right to the point where his psychiatrist, who's still narrating this beautiful story, says there's one night where he forgets to go home. He just keeps cutting the fish heads like he's million miles away. Wow. And as he's being brought into the kingdom on his left hand, he's being coronated and they're saying, you're our king, you're our king. He goes up to receive his crown. He puts his head down. <sighs> And on your right hand, you take the head off the fish. But fuck me, that is a good fucking section. God damn it. <laughs> what the hell? And his psychiatrist kind of phrases it as, well, you know the rest. And Jesus Christ. That is how Lewis Finch died. These are some tragic shit. Oh, yeah, this is it's bad. It's, it's real bad. So there must not be much left of Edith Finch at this point. No. <laughs> That was that was their brother. That was the last one. So she kind of wraps that up and she starts thinking about the night that they left because they left right after Lewis's funeral. Mm -hmm. They buried Lewis in the family graveyard and Dawn, her mother, and Edie, her great-grandmother, get into a fight. 
and they're screaming and they're doing all this. And Edith finds out it's because Edie was writing her the exact same journal, documenting everyone's lives and deaths and saying, baby girl, this is who we are. Like, this is your family history. This is what's happened to us. This is the curse we live with. The exact same thing Edith is doing right now in her journal. Dawn finds Edie's journal, rips it out and is like, fuck you. Fuck the curse. I'm so sick of this shit. I'm taking my only living child and we're getting the fuck out of here. Oh, my God. So that's the night. Dawn takes Edith and she's like, we're fucking moving. And they move in a hurry. And that's the last time she ever sees Edie, her great grandmother. Damn. Yeah. And so she's having just there's a lot going on with her. You know, when she's coming back to this house and reliving her own trauma and living through her family's trauma and still trying to document it in appropriate ways so she can pass this on to her child because she is also pregnant. Oh, fuck. Because I was going to say, if she makes it that far. (laughs) She's a teen mom. We also find out that her mother died through some terminal illness. So she did have kind of a longer life, and she still died kind of young. But maybe the curse was real a little bit because, you know, the second she left, she did die. But she got to live long enough to, you know, see her kid go to high school. Yeah, I mean, a few people do live, it sounds like, to their 50s and everything, but... He lived in a bunker. I guess (laughs) if everybody in that family dies so young, they probably do get pregnant pretty quick. Yeah. (laughs) They're also all very beautiful. Yeah. I mean, Barbara was a child actor. Yeah, They're a very attractive family. (laughs) They can get it. The Finches could get it. Yeah. We never find out what happens to Edie, the great-grandmother. Oh. Which is interesting, but she's obviously long gone. There's a great in front of her name. She's not long for this world. It's a miracle she made it this far. Totally. And as Edith is wrapping up her journal and she's like, and this is for you, my baby. And, you know, I might not be able to be there for you. I don't know if this is real, but I hope this works out. And you close the journal and you look down at Edith Finch's grave as Edith Finch's little son. And you're like, cool. Thanks. The end. What the fuck? Yeah. So it was really the son reading the book the whole time. The whole time. No. (laughs) But also, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But like, I hate that. Something about that ending just left me being like, it's done now. That's it. Oh, wow. I I think I just don't love the rhetoric around curse. It's so dramatic. It's, It's a lot like it's. It's nothing you can hang your hat on. It just it doesn't feel like enough for me. But. Again, that one fucking segment in the cannery is absolutely fucking beautiful entirely. That's incredible interactive storytelling to an insane degree that I haven't seen anywhere. And I love this shit. Like, I love this shit so much. But Well, well it's just funny to ugh. me that you hate the idea of, like, the death curse, and yet your favorite movie franchise is Final Destination. Final- <laughs> I mentioned that in this fucking show, so I can't even deny it. You're Literal absol- death curse. You're absolutely right. That is my... Well, that one's fun. Like, <laughs> I guess it is literally this entire game. It's and it's not following like one fuck. family or anything. Yeah. Um. Well, god damn it. Yeah, you're right. I'm a hypocrite. That's fine. I, it's I'll okay. go to bed we with all that. Are. Yeah, but I just... I don't. I think that the, the pacing was a little too slow for me. There were parts that were engaging, but in between, I didn't feel very engaged. Like, there were dry points of not having a lot of fun in the game mm-hmm. some of the deaths aren't fun like you know the the kid that's got the debris kite not super fun walter not fun fucking the sam's death where you're taking pictures not super fun just the fun wasn't there 
<laughs> I get lot. you. But the storytelling, the writing is beautiful. I You cannot deny it. And they got a fucking shelf full of awards saying how good they are at it. Absolutely wonderful writing. I just feel like I wish they had more gamers on the team instead of just storytellers. Like if they had a couple people who were passionate about developing engaging games. Like if this was a Naughty Dog game, this would be insane. This would be this would be fucking amazing as a Naughty Dog game. And I think that's the thing we're seeing is the big difference between the independent developers and the big name developers. You know, you get these stories like The Last of Us. You get these stories like The Uncharted. You get these stories even like the Red Dead Redemptions, Grand Theft Autos. You know, we've got these really detailed storylines that are also accompanied by huge, awesome gameplay. Totally. I'm spoiled. Yeah. And then we're running into all these independent ones who have these really great stories and just kind of real shit gameplay. Yeah. We just talked about Bendy. Like, I love the lore of Bendy and I love the aesthetic of Bendy. But, totally. You know, I've, I watched you. What, what do we call it? A melee? Um, <laughs> first person melee? First person melee. You're just yeah. swinging and it's like, oh, well, it's a great story, but it's the same thing with this where I do like the writing. I do like the world, but it's not fun. Right. And I do want to play a game for fun. You know, it's not just reading. It's not just absorbing the story, which obviously is a big factor in why I choose games and what games I like to look at. I still want to feel satisfied playing something. And there, yeah, there's something not super satisfying about this. While it is a good story that fulfills me in that way, I'm not having fun. Right. <laughs> and I pick up a controller because I want to have fun. Right. Like, if you wanted the story, you'd read a book, you'd watch a movie, you'd do something like that. Yeah, if this was a podcast, fucking, I'll listen to it while I play Overwatch. Right. Which I do all the time. Constantly. <laughs> it's great, but it's just, ah, uh, man. Yeah, the storytelling is killer. It's like recommending a sad movie mm -hmm. where you're like, you're not going to have a fun time with this. But, but you'll like it. But but it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah hard you know so what do you think about this i don't think i'm ever gonna play it that's fair it doesn't sound like a kind of game that i would enjoy because you know i like the gameplay of a game totally more so than i do if anything yeah definitely and i like storytelling i, I mean i love a good story yeah this doesn't sound too it sounds too depressing it's very depressing and it, it feels super just melancholy the whole time because it's just talking about death and edith has kind of these flickers of moments of revelation of yolo and of you know we are not meant for long and this world isn't really meant for us and we have to enjoy it while we can and you know the happier chapters are for the younger people that are enjoying themselves like molly and gregory's chapters are fun because they're kids and they have great imaginations and milton may or may not have imagined himself away <laughs> into another dimension which somehow is canonically true with the developers so i guess he's fine and i guess he's the last living finch actually since Edith dies at about 17, 18. She dies in childbirth. Well, um, then isn't her kid the last living? Well, out of their generation. Oh, only gotcha. one kid per generation lives. So since Edith is the only one to have a kid, that kid is fine. And that breaks the curse. One should hope. Yeah. <laughs> one should hope. I think that does break the curse. So I guess that's a good thing. But just, man, it was, it was all vegetables and no meat and potatoes or vice versa. I'm not sure where to go with the metaphor. Yeah, some people would have preferred an all-vegetable dinner. Ugh, what, rabbits? I don't know. What's wrong with that? I want an all-dessert dinner. That sounds delightful. <laughs> you want to go get milkshakes? We haven't had dessert yet. Let's go get milkshakes. Okay. All right, Goombas. That is all that remains of Edith Finch. I'm sorry for depressing you. Yeah. <laughs> but, no. go, but you can play by chapter. If you can just do that one chapter, it doesn't do it justice if you watch it. You have to play the Lewis chapter. Just and, have to experience it. Yeah, and then, you know, maybe watch a happy movie. What's something that makes you happy, Tom? 
something that makes me happy. Yeah. Video games. Okay. Except for when they're sad Not video this. games. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a video that I love of a manatee swimming up to a big crowd of people and then it gets to the glass and it smushes its little fat face. And he goes, boom. There's an Instagram account called Cats in Food where someone photoshops cats into food and it's insane. It's disturbing, everybody. I love it. I love seeing birds. You do like looking at birds. I do like looking at birds. I love looking at dogs. There's a nice dog that lives in our neighborhood. His name is Shaggy Dog. Yeah. I think. Or Cornelius, one of the two. It's one or the other. (laughs) I hope you guys find something that makes you happy after this terribly sad game. Yes. We promise to bring you some more happiness next time. And I promise to have a milkshake shortly to make up for this depressing thing. All right, Goombas. Until next time. Enjoy your milkshakes. Bye. Bye.